Hello, welcome, 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 or welcome back to You Learn Something New Every Day with Chloe Vetter. I am your host. My name is Chloe. What's up, you guys? I hope you're all having an amazing day. I hope you're all having an amazing night whenever you're listening to this. And I just hope this week has been good to you. Happy Friday. We made it, right? It's another Friday, another week. We did that. Acknowledge that. Be proud of yourself. You did that. Today, I'm very excited. This episode is going to be our second to last of the series I've been doing on this book. And so if you haven't heard the other ones, go check them out. They're all scattered, you know, in my recent uploads. And this one... I don't know what it was about this chapter, but it just, like, took me a lot longer than the others to really, to plan the episode overall, but mainly because I was just trying to digest and annotate the chapter while also figuring out the best way that I wanted to word it and how I resonated with everything he said in this chapter and, you know, how I wanted to then, you know, re-elaborate and, you know, kind of reword and rephrase things the way that makes sense to me and from what I've observed in other people. So, yeah, it just, it took a lot longer to plan out this episode, but we did it and we are now here talking about it and I'm very excited. So, before we do dive in to the main point of today, I want to share what I learned. So, if you're new here, I always share something that I learned at the beginning of each episode because the reason this podcast has the title that it does is because as cliche and, you know, mundane it might seem, it's very true. You learn something new every day. And if you are sitting there like, no, I don't, you know, you're denying that, maybe you're right. But that's on you. It's probably because you're not being very mindful. You're not very aware and very present throughout your day, right? You're not paying attention to what's really going on internally and externally. Because when we experience things, we're not just learning things from the outside world, but we learn from the inside as well. In fact, a lot of what we learn and, you know, grow from is internal. It might be influenced by external events, but, you know, how we are and how we go about life, it's all really reliant on what goes on inside, right? So... If you're going about your day-to-day life and you're just not really paying attention to what's going on, you're not really being present, you're kind of just going through the motions, which a lot of us have dealt with. I think a lot of us suffer from, you know, just being kind of numb to everything and going through the motions, you know, like you're driving one day and you get home and you're like, wait a second, I don't even remember how I got here, you know, like I don't remember the drive home, like was I even paying attention? And you almost freak yourself out because you're like, holy shit, like... (laughs) did I drive on the wrong side of the road? Like, did I stop at the lights I needed to stop at? Like, you know, you kind of panic. But if you were being present on the drive home, you would have been able to recollect that. And that kind of goes the same with 
just experiencing day-to-day life. So it could be a small thing, it could be a big thing, it could be mundane, not, it could be serious, it could be not serious, it could be relevant, not relevant, uh, or irrelevant. It could be anything. But regardless, you learn something new every day. And if you don't think that's true, go internal, go inside, look within, try to reflect, you know, on why this doesn't apply to you, and then act from there and come back for me when, once you figure it out because you will figure it out. But it, it, I, the, I can explain it all day long, but the light bulb has to go off in your head for you to understand it in a way that would make sense to you. So what I learned today is, <laughs> okay, so I have two dogs, right? Daisy and Lucy, they're sisters. I mean, they're sisters because they live together, but they're also biologically like from the same litter, from the same mom. So Luce, I've talked about Daisy and, you know, the seizures that she's been having, but Lucy for the past week, she's been like shaking her head a lot, you know, when dogs like do the whole body shake and they, you know, flip their ears around and they're shaking their head. She's been doing that like a lot. And I was looking it up because I was like, this is like excessive and this can't be good. You know, if you're shaking your head around a ton like that, like that's not good for your brain. Like that's really bad. (laughs) So, you know, I... After, you know, a few days, got to a week, I was like, okay, like, this doesn't seem right. Like, I don't know what's happening. So I was like, you know, we were going to take her to the vet, but I was kind of looking in her ears and I looked in, you know, I looked in the right, it looked fine. And then I looked in the left and I was like, what the fuck? Whoa, ew, 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 ew. I'll spare you the details, but all I have to say is ew, ew, okay, gross. And I'm sitting there like, oh, (laughs) That'll make sense. That's why she's been scratching at this ear a little bit extra lately. Like, why she's always shaking her head and everything. She's got an ear infection. So, we took her to the vet yesterday. So, technically, I did learn this yesterday. But it's okay. You guys, it's fine. You don't need to know. It's okay. I still learned something today, I promise. But um, I learned that, basically, dogs, long story short, dogs can get ear yeast infections from having another dog continuously and consistently licking their ear. I think that's how it formed. Because, like I said, she has a sister, Daisy and Lucy. They're always, like, grooming each other. Like, they're always licking each other's, you know, like, their eyes or, like, around their mouths and, like, their ears and other places. But that's just, like, how they are, you know? Like, they kind of help each other clean up after themselves or whatever. And, like, they do that all the time, so I didn't really, you know, think much about it. But she was saying, like, when she gave me the eardrops, you know, after we confirmed that Lucy had an ear infection, she was like, just make sure, like, the other one doesn't, like, lick her ear or anything like that, you know, like, especially once you put the medicine in it, you know, you know, because we have to just give her these eardrops for, like, the next week. And she was like actually and I was like oh yeah like they I will like she does that a lot actually and then she was like that could actually be the cause of like why this formed like it's literally yeast (laughs) like there is moisture in there and yeah I I don't want to gross you guys out but I learned that you know a dog could get an ear infection from the other dog trying to clean their ear you know they can actually be doing more damage than good so if you have two dogs or more 
and they're always licking each other's ears, tell them to knock that shit off, okay? Tell them to stop, or else they're going to the vet. Anyway, that's what I learned. I hope you guys enjoyed. <laughs> okay, let's just get on in. Let's get on into it. We got a lot to talk about, so get ready. All right, get ready to take some notes. Get ready to pause and have some aha moments and reflect. I'm very excited for this. All right, so today is the second to last episode of this series on this podcast, on this book. And this will be part eight on chapter eight of the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And this is a counterintuitive approach to living a good life. According to the title. According to the cover of the book. So, like I said, chapter 8. This is titled, The Importance of Saying No. And I have a whole episode, actually. I think I have more than one, actually, about, you know, like, saying no and relating it to certain situations. And how saying no is saying yes to yourself. And I really like this chapter because it kind of brings... It brings up the idea of saying no in many different situations and forms like it's not just like as simple and straight to the point as you'd think so we'll get all into it so he starts out manson starts out in this chapter by discussing freedom and he talked about how there was this point in his life like there was a period of time where all he was doing was traveling and that sounds really great but like he got to so many different countries and he saw and experienced so many different cultures and societies and he met so many different people and you know he mentioned like how he was like dating around and you know hooking up with all these people in different countries and like just kind of explaining how like the longer this went on the more and more it just like didn't mean anything like the more and more he would forget those people's names who he just slept with the night before like he was like i just had this overwhelming overcompensating you know like experience of of experiences of different you know places and events and all that so he's basically intro- introduces this idea that too much adventuring and too much excitement too much freedom this can leave us feeling super lost so us going to quote-unquote find ourselves if we look too far or in too many different places like we're gonna be feeling kind of lost on page 160 manson wrote absolute freedom by itself means nothing And he talks about how freedom, in this sense, you know, freedom to travel, freedom to, you know, meet new people, freedom to experience different cultures. This freedom, this absolute freedom, it grants opportunity. It grants opportunity to achieve meaning and sense of purpose and This is very important when, you know, especially if you're younger and you are trying to quote-unquote find yourself. But to to get to the the meaningful and the sense of purpose, to get to that side of things, we got to experience rejection. We must experience being told no. We must experience 
a narrowing of freedom, right? We, we must experience making a choice of commitment. We've got to commit to something. And I'll explain why that's important in just a second. On page 160, Manson wrote, As with most excesses in life, you have to drown yourself in them to realize that they don't make you happy. So like I was saying, Manson was discussing, you know, like how he went to all these places and after a while, after you drown yourself in it, like that's when you start to realize, like they become more and more meaningless and that's when you start to realize you know, just like that, that's not what's going to make you happy. That's not, that's not it. And he kind of wrapped up that part about his travel experiences by discussing how Russia was actually one of his favorite places to go. He was talking about like the bluntness of Russian culture to be freeing. He was saying that to say whatever you felt without fear of rejection and fear of repercussion, it was freeing. It was liberating. Accepting rejection is liberating. And he was talking about how, you know, yeah, they're really blunt and like straightforward and, you know, like they might say things you don't want to hear, but that's because they're honest that's what it is and especially in our society in our culture in this day and age like here in the states like we I mean I'll talk about it for sure later in this episode but like we're so fake to everybody we're fake online we're fake in person we're fake to everybody and it's just been drilled in our head for so long and so it almost kind of seems normal and again, I'll talk about that later in a second. But that's what he, what, what I'm going, where I'm going with this is Manson, for example, you know, an American citizen, like born and raised, he was not used to that type of honesty. He wasn't used to people, you know, just walking by him and, you know, not wishing him a good day. Or he wasn't used to people calling him out on dumb bullshit remarks like if they disagreed with him he wasn't used to that so at first he said it was really uncomfortable and kind of you know weird and you know it definitely kind of takes you aback might get you a little bit butthurt might hurt your ego a little bit but that's that's when you kind of realize like oh accepting this rejection which is you know inevitable that it was liberating because that's when the honesty and you know, all that opened up on, where is it? Page 162, Manson wrote, travel is a fantastic self-development tool because it extricates you from the values of your culture and shows you that another society can live with entirely different values and still function and not hate themselves. This exposure to different cultural values and metrics then forces you to re-examine what seems obvious in your own life and to consider that perhaps it's not necessarily the best way to live. Again, that was on page 62, but that whole, I know that was like a longer quote, that whole thing just like blew my mind. 
and you know i've kind of had a an idea of this uh this um concept for a while especially since traveling finally to a different country um last january or this past january of 2021 i remember coming back and just being like whoa like and it's not something that you can fully understand unless you've experienced i thought i understood it but once i actually did it i was like whoa okay now i understand it the whole thing with you know a whole other society can live with different values and still function like that just shows that everything that we value and everything that we put so much pressure on it's not like we don't need to we don't need to we don't need to live with that I remember specifically like just for an example like I remember I I went to Aruba that's like um out of country experience I was talking about I went to Aruba and I mean everybody's there is just so happy such a good mood such a great such great energy there truly like I have never felt so much love and happiness in one place and that goes for the people and the environment and I just remember how everything there like the grocery stores there were no plastic bags they just it was kind of like Costco where like you just kind of go in and like you grab your stuff and then like maybe you have like a box like a cardboard box like an old one that you you're reusing to kind of carry things in but like everything's kind of like free balling it in the cart you know what I mean like you're not bagging things there was no plastic you go to a restaurant, you go to a bar that was on the beach, they give you paper cups and paper straws, no plastic at all. And they are just very environmentally friendly and they're very conscious about what they're doing to the environment and how their actions, you know, have, you know, results and consequences from that. And I don't know it just I remember coming back to the states and being almost angry like I mean not even almost I was angry I was really upset with how we live here and like I mean think about how much plastic that is unnecessary that we use and that just goes to show like I mean the states is a lot bigger as a whole than you know Aruba a little island but like you know, Aruba's got these beautiful beaches. And that's why they're beautiful. That's why everything is so nice there. Because they take care of it. Because they don't use a shit ton of plastic and trash their beaches, right? Like, I mean, again, the states are big, so I guess it depends on where you are. Like, I know that if you go further down, they're, like, a little bit better. But, like, I'm in Maryland... And, you know, I could drive over to Ocean Shitty. No, I did not misspeak. Ocean Shitty. Uh, You could go to, you know, Dewey Beach, Bethany Beach, um, Rehoboth. If you go up, you could go to Ocean City, New Jersey. There's Sea Isle, all that. Yes, it's a beach and I love the water. But, like, oh my god. Compared to Aruba, compared to, like, anywhere else... They're really bad. They're really shitty. There's trash. 
there's plastic. And it's just like the water is clearly not that clean. And it just kind of broke my heart because that just went to show like how awful we are to our planet and how awful we are to our environment here. But anyway, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent. But um, yeah, I mean, that's basically what Manson was saying is like, when you experience other people's ways of life, like it kind of makes you reevaluate and reexamine your own values and your own ways of going about life. Because if they can live without stressing about, you know, I don't know, like, plastic bags at grocery stores if they can live with carrying their groceries in with their own bags and not using plastic bags if they can do that we'll be just fine we'll be just fine okay i don't even know why we still have plastic like i i don't understand it but anyway anyway i will go off forever on that topic another day another episode so long story short russia had Manson reevaluating the fake niceness, right? He had the that whoa, Russia had Manson reevaluating the fake bullshit that we rely on here. Their society found the most valuable currency to be trust and honesty, right? To build trust, one must be openly honest. To build trust, one must be openly honest, even if that's telling someone that their idea was stupid, even if it's telling someone that something really sucks. Like, it's better for them in their eyes. It's better to be honest and upfront and let go of that fear of rejection, right? It's better to do that than to be fake and nice. On page 163, Mansa wrote, But in the quote-unquote free West, there existed an abundance of economic opportunity. So much economic opportunity that it became far more valuable to present yourself in a certain way, even if it was false, than to actually be that way. Trust lost its value. Appearances and salesmanship became more advantageous forms of expression. Knowing a lot of people superficially was more beneficial than knowing a few people closely. Again, another longer quote, but that again had me like, whoa. Especially that last part, like knowing people, you know, superficially, like that became more advantageous than like actually knowing people closely like and knowing them superficially over knowing them closely and like that's so true like we're stuck smiling at people and being polite polite to people we don't even know or that we don't even like and we're agreeing with people even if we don't agree with them we're telling these white lies we're following people on social media and liking their pictures of people that you don't even care to follow you're doing this to people and being friends with people you don't even enjoy being around you're being friends with people you don't even like so with all this yeah all of us have these big egos and they're not getting hurt because you know we're not being rejected but 
the thing that sucks about that is we never know if we can trust anyone at all like someone could be being nice to you but are they just using you for your followers are they using you for your platform are they using you for your money for your economic opportunity are they using you for social status are they using you to get to one of your friends that has a platform are they using you because you, they have a lot of nice stuff or they use like wh- whatever it is like people are always fake because they always want something out of it and that comes with that fear of rejection on page 164 manson wrote there's so much pressure in the west to be likable that people often reconfigure their entire personality depending on the person they're dealing with and I see this way too often and I'm guilty of it myself. I'm not trying to act like I've never done this before. Like I've definitely subconsciously, you know, kind of reconfigured my my personality depending on, you know, who I'm talking to and, you know, how their mood is and, you know, what their status is. And I'm like adjusting and, you know, some people might say like, oh, you're just versatile or you're adaptable, but there's an extent. There's a difference between being adaptable and, you know, going with the flow and being fake and entirely changing the person you are just to fit into what you think someone else prefers. Do you see how, like, that just, like, is a very awful, vicious cycle? So, let's talk more about this rejection I've been mentioning. So, rejection... In this chapter, Manson emphasizes the importance it has. Rejection makes our lives better. We're taught to avoid rejection and not just giving it or receiving it, but both. We're taught to avoid giving and receiving rejection at all costs, but this only gives us short-term pleasure. It makes us lost long-term. To truly be grounded and to truly appreciate, you must confine yourself to it. To truly appreciate something or someone, you got to commit. So when you're choosing values for yourself, when you're choosing the metrics that you base your life off of, choosing values which we all do we all do it whether you're conscious of it or not I would hope you're conscious of it and I would hope that you really take the time when choosing these values but choosing values requires the rejection of the alternatives right when we choose values we have to reject the values that are counterintuitive to it right We've got to have values based off of what we care about. And to value one thing, you got to reject what is not that thing, right? If you want to have X, but Y isn't X. In fact, Y is the opposite of X. You, to have X, you have to reject Y, if that makes sense. 
On page 164, Manson wrote, But we need to reject something. Otherwise, we stand for nothing. If nothing is better or more desirable than anything else, then we are empty and our life is meaningless. We are without values and therefore live our life without any purpose. So if we're not, you know, we have values that we choose, but if we're not really, you know, acknowledging them and we're just kind of, you know, not sticking to our values, we're kind of, you know, we value not having values for lack of a better, you know, phrase, we're going to have, you know, meaningless, without purpose, we're going to have that type of life. We're going to have those type of experiences. On page 165, Manson wrote, That rejection is an inherent and necessary part of maintaining our values, and therefore our identity. We are defined by what we choose to reject. And if we reject nothing, perhaps in fear of being rejected by something ourselves, we essentially have no identity at all. The desire to avoid rejection at all costs, to avoid confrontation and conflict, the desire to attempt to accept everything equally and to make everything cohere and harmonize is a deep and subtle form of entitlement. So this entitlement that he's talking about entitle people humans that are entitled they feel like they deserve to feel good all the time right they feel that they deserve for everything to be fine everything to be good and joyful and they avoid rejection at all costs a rejection of other people like rejecting other people and then receiving rejection themselves so you know they're stuck with the fake bullshitty niceness that i was talking about earlier that really runs high in our culture this leaves you with valueless, self-absorbed person, right? Like your whole life, if you are quote-unquote feeling good all the time, which isn't even possible, you're not gonna, you're gonna just, you're just gonna live a self-absorbed life. Rejection is necessary. Rejection is crucial. We crave honesty, right? As people, as human beings, we crave honesty. So to get that, we must be open to hearing the word no. Rejection is healthy. Rejection is normal. And it's necessary. So this all kind of ties into setting boundaries with people. And he, Manson in this chapter definitely, like, relates this more to, like, a romantic relationship. But this can really go for any type of relationship, any type of friendship. So, basically, long story short, clear boundaries are needed. They're necessary. They're crucial. The difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship comes down to two things. First being how well each individual accepts responsibility of their own actions. All right, so that's number one. Number two is the willingness of each person to 
either reject or be rejected by their partner. On page 171, Manson wrote, People can't solve your problems for you, and they shouldn't try, because that won't make you happy. And I think a lot of people really need to hear that. People, two people can still support one another with clear boundaries in place. And I feel like that's just not, people just don't really like see that. They think that if you want to support people, like you can't have boundaries in place. But it's not about feeling, in fact, it's bad if you're feeling entitled or obligated to support someone or to be supported that's not why we should be doing things for other people. We should be doing things because we choose to, because we want to, because that in itself is rewarding enough. That in itself is what we want. On page 172, Manson wrote, Entitled people who take the blame for other people's emotions and actions do so because they believe that if they, quote-unquote, fix their partner or save them, they will receive the love and appreciation they've always wanted. So this is where, you know, Manson brought up like the victor, the victim and saver mentality, you know, like there's the victim and then there's the saver. There's the person that starts the fire and there's the person that puts out the fire. Both of these mentalities, both of these types of people are both selfish in their different ways. They're both self-sabotaging because the victim mentality they only see you know these acts of love as being saved like they like they, they create issues because they've only been taught that to receive love they gotta have something bad happen to them like something needs to you know go wrong and then for the saver mentality, that type of person, they think that they've only been taught that for them to receive love, they have to, you know, fix their partner, you know, fix their problems or solve things and, you know, just save them. Victim and saver. They both go, you know, they work very well together. On page 174, sorry, page 174, Manson wrote, acts of love are only valid, no, acts of love are valid only if they're performed without conditions or expectations. And that is so true. Like, you can't have any strings attached when you do something for someone else. Otherwise, it's just... I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't count, but, like, it doesn't doesn't count in that way. It's not an act of love. It doesn't actually mean you care about them. It means you care about what it's going to get you. It's like if you're, you know, giving a homeless person money, but you're recording it and posting it. Like, that's not, that's very counterintuitive. Like, you can't, the, that's just not, like, the motives are kind of fucked up there. You know what I mean? So... To, if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, how do I, what do I do with this information? So, what you can do is to distinguish between whether you're doing something voluntarily 
or whether you're doing something out of obligation, ask yourself, if I refused, how would my relationship change? And if it would be bad, you know, if the whole thing would blow up, if you just refused or you said no to your partner, if it would be a bad result, if that's what would happen, it's probably a superficial relationship. There's probably very conditional love that you're dealing with, right? Conditional, not unconditional. So this is why, like, conflict and dealing with problems is so important. That's why it's healthy to fight, because you can't just get along with people perfectly. Otherwise, something's wrong there. Like, that's, people just, you can't 100% accommodate to everybody's needs while also being, you know, content with your own. So that's why you got to ask yourself, like, if, if you're trying to, you know, please someone all the time and you're afraid to tell them no every once in a while... That's not good because that probably means that you would expect and know them to be someone who would freak out and, you know, things wouldn't go good if they heard no, if they were rejected. On page 177, Manson wrote, Without conflict, there can be no trust. Conflict exists to show us who is there for us unconditionally and who is just there for the benefits. So what I was saying earlier, like people are always, you know, they'll be friends with people, but they're just there for the benefits. You know, it's not an unconditional thing. And that's why, you know, these conflicts are necessary. For a healthy and for a meaningful relationship, both people, both parties must be able to hear and say No, okay? They must be able to give and receive the rejection, right? Without this trust, it doesn't mean anything. The relationship doesn't mean anything. So, trust. That's a big, you know, theme here. If someone, for example, Manson brought this up towards the end of the chapter as an example. If someone cheats on you, or if someone breaks your trust, Words are nice. Apologies, they're nice. They're, that's cool, right? It's better than no words. Better than no apology. But it doesn't mean anything until actions arise. Until they, they're, they're, what they do, it doesn't mean anything until what they do lines up with what they're saying. Okay, if they're all talk and no walk, there needs to be a, a reevaluation. If someone breaks your trust, so if someone cheats on you, for example, there needs to be a consistent track record of improved behavior. And the reason so many people either, you know, don't give them a chance for this or they, you know, fail right away, it's because this type of track record, this takes time. If you're doing it right, if it's genuine, this takes time. So you have to be patient with one another, with yourself. Rekindling broken trust takes a lot of time. And that's just how it is. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're willing to put in that time and effort, that's a good sign. 
But if they're not, then that's not a good sign. You know, that's like, okay, if you're not willing to work through this conflict with me that you started, you're ne- you're never going to get better. You're never going to change. On page... Let me see. Let me see. On page 179, Manson wrote, When trust is destroyed, it can be rebuilt only if the following two steps happen. Number one, the trust breaker admits the true values that caused the breach and owns up to them. And then number two, the trust breaker builds a solid track record of improved behavior over time. Without the first step, There should be no attempt at reconciliation in the first place. Again, that was page 179. So, again, he said there's two parts, and without the first part, like, don't even try the second part. So, first, the person that cheats, for example, they've got to admit to what they did, right? And they've got to admit to the true motives behind it. A lot of people, you know, they'll cheat and then they'll be like, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, she was there and, like, I was just in a mood, whatever. They're, you know, making all these excuses. If they're doing that, like, that's done. Don't even let, like, they don't, you can't, they can't build a solid track record of improved behavior if they don't admit to like what actually happened because if you were saying oh like I don't know like I was mad at you and she was there and you know we both had some alcohol in us like all that's saying is that you value your emotions taking over more than the relationship that's saying that you value quick fixes over long-term hard work and commitment. That's saying that you value a random girl over a long-term relationship, commitment, whatever. You guys see what I'm saying here? Like, it, you you have to admit to what you did, but you also have to be able to admit why you did it. Like, the true underlying values that you have. And only then, when you admit to those, can you start to change them. And that'll change, you know, everything else that happens. It'll change the actions that result of your values and, you know, the metrics that you go about your life with. So, I want to kind of wrap this up with how this ties into, like, consumer culture. And especially in our society. Uh, Consumer culture makes us always want more, right? Uh, It's always more is better, more is better. But when we're overloaded with this opportunity and these things, just like what I was saying in the very beginning when he was talking about being overloaded and drowning in experience of travel and different cultures, when we're overloaded with opportunity in any shape or form, we suffer from paradox of choice, as you know, many philosophers will call it. The more options that we have, the less satisfied we're going to be with whatever choice we make. Because if you have, for example, I guess, if you have two, two options, right? House of, say you're buying a house. You have two options that you really like. There's option A, there's option B. You're going to weigh them out and you're going to choose one of them. 
and you're going to be happy with it. You're going to move in. It's going to be great. You're not even going to think twice about the other house. But if there's 30 houses that you tour and you look at, there's 30 options, you have to choose one. And you can weigh them all out all day long. You can compare the pros and cons. You can get other people's feedback, even though they're not living in the house. You are. You can do whatever. You can choose the house you think you love, but the second you move in, you're going to be like, wait. I don't think this was the one. I also really liked house number 16. Because that one had a bigger pool than this one. But also, House 27 was really nice because their pool was heated. It was really small, but it was heated. But then there's House number 2 who had that sunroom that was really pretty and you could look out over the pool. But then there were trees blocking the way and you couldn't really see past. But then House number 7, there weren't trees and you could see so far out, but there also weren't trees and I like trees. You see where I'm going with this? How like the more options you have, the more stressful it is on your brain. Especially speaking from experience as someone who has very, very, a very difficult time making a choice. Pisces sun, Gemini moon, if you know, you know. I, this would be, this just makes a lot of sense, right? The more options the less satisfied you're going to be with your choice. On page 181, Manson wrote, but while investing deeply in one person, one place, one job, one activity, might deny us the breadth of experience we'd like, pursuing a breadth of experience denies us the opportunity to experience the rewards of depth and experience. No. Of depth of experience. Did I say that right? I think so. Again, that was page 181. So he's basically just saying, like, there's freedom and there's liberation in commitment. As counterintuitive as it sounds. There's, when you commit to something, when you go all in, there's no more distractions. There's no more fear of missing out. There's, you know, no more, like, what ifs. Like, you're, you're in it. On page 183, Manson wrote, In this way, the rejection of alternatives liberates us. Rejection of what does not align with our most important values, with our chosen metrics. Rejection of the constant pursuit of breadth without depth. And that's why rejection is so important and so necessary. And so crucial. Because we can't have it all. We can't. And even if you do have a lot, and you do seem to know it all, all that really leaves you with is a bunch of little, like, uh, you know, there's people that know a lot, or they know a little about a lot. But it's like, do you know a lot about a, a little? Like, do you know a lot about one thing? Because that's really what's going to get you far. Like, that, that, that depth, right? Like, we can all be surface level, you know, smart and intelligent about certain topics and experiences. But 
what makes a difference is the time commitment, the effort, the, you know, the all in that people refer to. So I want to leave you guys with how, yes, experience is important and a variety of experience is crucial. But on page 183, Manson wrote, but depth is where the gold is buried. And you have to stay committed to something and go deep to dig it up. And that, my friends, was chapter eight. Man, wasn't that a lot of information? Like, whoa. I'm definitely going to be just thinking about this the rest of my day. I don't know about you guys. But feel free to, you know, rewind to any parts. Feel free to listen to it again as a whole. Maybe pause in between and, you know reflect a little bit, you know, see where your brain takes you with what you just heard and just see how it resonates you, okay? Take what you want, take what registers and go from there. So I want to thank you guys so much for listening. It really does mean a lot to me that you took the time out of your day to click on this episode and listen to it. And if you made it this far, you're amazing. Please send this to a friend who you think might benefit from this. Maybe send it to your parent or your sibling or, you know, whoever. Send the whole podcast or this single episode, whatever you want. But share it. Share it with people because I think this could be really resourceful at the end of the day. Make sure to follow this podcast and rate it five stars. It means a lot to me. You can follow my Instagram. It's chloe.better, C-H-L-O-E dot V as in violet, E-T-T-E-R. You can message me any topic, ideas that you want to hear, any requests, any questions, any comments about this episode, about another episode. Let me know. I want to, I love constructive criticism, so please give me your feedback. I want it. I need it. But anyway, is that it? Is that all I have to say? I guess so. Thank you guys again. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. If not, the sun will rise and we will try again. Thank you guys. I'll see you all next Friday for another episode. Peace out.